Hey, Coastline, how you guys doing today? Come on, let's put our hands together and give Jesus Christ the greatest applause that we can possibly give today. Thank you for that warm welcome. You can be seated. And um, I actually have my wife with me here today, uh, the best part of our family. Stand up, Angel, real quick. This is Angel. Everybody say hi, Angel. And uh, so she's... Uh, uh, some of you know her from the videos you've shown here in church of the Short Creek Dream Center. She's uh, the, kind of the, the, the chief operating officer there, runs the whole program there, raises money for all the folks and young ladies who are being rescued out of polygamy uh, up in Colorado City. So it's a, great, it's a great ministry, and you guys have been a huge part of that. You've given and given and given like no other church has given. So thank you, Coastline, for your generosity in helping us uh, help the ladies of Colorado City. I just want to welcome all those who are watching online. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Amanda. We love you guys. We miss you. It's good to be in church here today. Sorry. No. <laughs> No, but uh, I'm glad that, in a way, you're not here because I get to preach, so it's, uh, it worked out really well. But uh, we love you guys, and we just honor you guys. Your, your leadership is so amazing. Uh, your, your vision for this community, uh, just watching God use you is so amazing. So thank you for this great opportunity of speaking today. Go with me in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3. And uh, I'll just read one verse to begin with. Verse 9, this is what it says. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout seven days, and there was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. So we have these three kingdoms, these three kings have come together with their armies to form a coalition, and they're going to march down, and they're going to fight a battle. And seven days into this march, they've run out of water. I want to talk to you for a few minutes here today about what to do in life when you run out. What to do in life when you run out. I don't know what you've run out of today, but I promise you this. Whatever you run out of, we serve the God of more than enough. We serve the God of more than enough. Father, I pray you just touch your vessel today. Help me to deliver this message exactly the way you put it in my heart. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, I have a confession to make. I hate hiking. I hate hiking with all my heart. I have a daughter who's 20 years old. She loves hiking. In fact, she told me last year, it's been her dream for five years to do this trail called the Arizona Trail. Have you heard of it? You've heard of the Pacific Coast Trail, the Appalachian Trail. But the Arizona Trail is 800 miles long. It goes from the Arizona-Utah uh, border all the way down to the Arizona-Mexico border. 117,000 feet of elevation gain. This trail is no joke. It is serious, serious business. Like I said, I don't like hiking. She loves hiking, so she's jazzed about it. So she said, Dad, I'm getting married January 2021. This is last year she said this. And this is my last year that I can do the Arizona Trail. So if no one does it with me, I'll do it all by myself. Well, I couldn't let her do it by herself because it's dangerous. So guess who wound up doing the trail with her? The guy who hates hiking. So I uh, trained all summer long, 10, 12, 15 miles a day in the 110 degree Arizona heat, getting ready for it. Finally, the day came, September 27th of last year. We took off from the border of Arizona, Utah, down the Arizona Trail. One day, two days, three days. Our goal was to do uh, 20 miles a day for 40 days. 
That was our goal. And after five days, we come to the north rim of the Grand Canyon. And we hiked 24 miles that day down into the canyon and then out the south rim. Two miles from the top edge, just two miles, I get a kidney stone. And it lays me out on that trail. I thought we were going to have to have a helicopter come in and, you know, and pull me out. But my wife and someone else hiked down and gave me some, some liquids. And I passed that kidney stone in about an hour on that trail. I was able to make it out, went to the hospital. They pumped me full of fluids, got me back on the trail the next day. And so here we go on, you know, five days, six days, seven days, eight days. We get to day 50 of this trail. And we're in the superstitions, and um, we're coming down this really steep place. My daughter's got her headphones on, you know, she's kind of a fast hiker, and, and so she puts her hand on this big boulder and lets her feet down. It's real steep. Well, I fall right behind her. I put my, my hand on the boulder, and the moment I put my hand on this 8,000-pound boulder, it starts to slide, and she's right below it. And so I run over and knock her out of the way, and just as I do that, the boulder catches me in the backside, and it rides me down this mountain for 20 feet. It broke my femur. It broke my hip. It broke my forearm, three of my ribs. I got stitch, uh, 30 stitches in my hand. And here I am stuck about 60 miles from anywhere uh, on the side of the mountain. The helicopter came, you know, picked me up, took me to the hospital, did multiple surgeries. And the whole reason we were doing this hike was we wanted to raise a million dollars for Colorado City to help the ladies up there. And this story became so viral across the planet. Inside Edition picked it up, Access Hollywood, all these different shows began to pick it up. And would you believe we end up raising $2.4 million for the work of Colorado City up there? It's just a great story. I kind of feel like David. David one time looked at his life and said, I thank God for broken bones. I'm not quite there yet, but pray for me. I'll get there. But God really used it. But uh, and by the way, my daughter, the next day she went out after my injury and she finished 300 miles with another hiker and uh, she finished that thing for, for, for Team Barnett. And uh, so it was a great story. But about uh, 20 days into the hike, can you imagine waking up every single day and getting out of the tent and saying, okay, I got to go 20 more miles again today, 20 more miles again today. It just got so old. And I was getting worn out. I was getting depleted because I don't like hiking. Did I mention I don't like hiking? <laughs> and so um, we come to this place called the Matazels. The Matazels are just vicious, you know, three and a half days away from civilization up in the middle of nowhere. And uh, the first hour and a half is a 5,000-foot incline uh, in the Matazels. I told Anna Lee, Anna Lee, you're 21 years old. You're 20 years old. I'm 51 years old. You're hiking way too fast. I can't keep up with you. Please slow down. Okay, Dad. Okay, Dad. We hit the Manazels. She's just gone. I, I can't see her. And she has a Garmin, which, and she has a Gut Hook app, you know, that shows where to go on the trail. I'm totally lost out in the wilderness. Well, finally, I catch up to her. I'm so mad at that little girl. I say, I want you to know something. You think you're so cool because you're 20 years old and you, you take off and leave a 51-year-old man. When I was 20 years old, I could bury you on this trail. I mean, I'm just giving it to her. And now she's clouding up and she's ready to cry, you know. I'm thinking, I said, what have I done to my poor little daughter? This is what I learned about myself. When, when I'm worn out, when I've run out, I don't make very good decisions. When, I, when, I've, when I'm depleted in life, I'm not in a very good place. And in this story, here's a story. The king of Moab is supposed to pay uh, the king of Israel a sum of money. We'll call it a tax. So one day, the king of Moab decides, I'm not going to pay this tax anymore. 
And so the king of Israel forms a little coalition with the king of Judah and Edom, and they march down, and they're going to give the king of Moab a bully beatdown until he pays what he owes. And on the way to this battle, the Bible says, in the desert, they totally run out of water. Not only for their own soldiers, but also for their, anim for their animals. Now listen, when, when you're in the middle of the desert and you're getting ready to fight a battle, how many would, uh, would, would agree that water is pretty important to have? But now they've totally run out. I know some of you can relate to this message today because this has probably been the most demanding season that many of us have encountered in our entire lives. This past Thursday was a one-year anniversary of the pandemic, COVID-19. And during the past year, we've experienced so many heartbreaking things, shutdowns and, and, and lockdowns and, and closures and social unrest in America and a, you know, a political system that is a mess. And just, it's just one punch after the next, after the next. Some of you have lost loved ones during this time, perhaps, or friends due to COVID-19. And all this has taken a toll on all of our lives, and it's left some of us feeling depleted. We, we've run out. Some of you are emotionally depleted right now. Your get up and go has gotten up and gone, and you just don't have the emotions to keep going on. Some of you may feel relationally depleted. Maybe your will to keep fighting for a marriage or your will to keep fighting to keep the family together, maybe that will is just diminishing, and you feel like you're depleted. Or maybe some of you are spiritually depleted. And by the way, that's the most dangerous place to be in life when you're spiritually depleted because that's where the enemy, that's where Satan does some of his best work. You see, one of the ways Satan seeks to pick us off is to make us depleted, is to make us thirsty. Because when you're thirsty, you'll start to do some crazy things to try to quench that thirst. When you're thirsty for a relationship, sometimes you will defy your deeply held convictions to try to quench that relational thirst. Or sometimes when you're thirsty for money, you'll defy some of your deeply held convictions to try to quench that financial thirst. You'll do some crazy things sometimes when you're thirsty. So these three kings have now been marching for seven straight days, and they've run out of water. This is what it says in verse 10. The king of Israel said, alas, because that's how we all talk, right? Alas, alas, we're here in church today, alas. No, uh, alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. So the king of Israel, his first response to running out is, we're all going to die. God is trying to kill us. But Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, I love this, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three, uh, these three kings uh, together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely if it weren't that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't even talk to you guys. If it weren't for Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't even speak to you guys. Now think about this. This guy Elisha, this prophet of God, has some very poor pastoral skills. I mean, these three kings have run out, they're thirsty, they're about to die, and Elisha says, why are you coming to me? 
Why are you coming to me? It'd be like if you had a problem this week and you called Coastline and the receptionist says, why are you calling us? You know, that wouldn't happen, right? What's going on here in this story? Well, if you read the first eight verses of this story, it says the king of Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, he did a good thing when he tore down the, the pillar built to Baal, the false god Baal that his mom and dad had built. But he was basically just blowing God off in life. He was treating God like an inanimate object, like a pillar built, built to Baal. And that's why Elisha says, why are you guys coming to me? Just go, go to your false gods because you're treating God the same way. But then he said, however, because of Jehoshaphat, I'll see you. Okay? So that's the story. Now let me answer the question. What do you do in life when you've run out and you're depleted and you're thirsty? Three things I want to share with you in this message. Number one, you have to set your mind. You have to set your mind. To set your mind on something means to give something your full attention, your full determination or effort. You see, the way you think will affect the way you feel in life. And the way you feel in life will affect the way you act. So if you want to change the way you act, you have to change the way you think. It's our thoughts. Don't miss this. Our thoughts are fueling our living. Our feelings are not fueling our living. It's the way we think that is fueling our living. It's what we set our minds on every single day that is fueling our life. The Apostle Paul put it like this in Romans 12 too. He says, do not be conformed to what you see around you. That's your feelings. But be what? transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have to think differently if we're going to live differently. We have to think differently if we're going to live differently. Let me say it another way. If you don't like your current outlook, then you have to change your outlook. If you don't like your current marital picture, you gotta think differently about your marriage. If you don't like your current career picture, you got to think differently about your current career picture because the way you're thinking about it has wound you up in the place you are today. So you have to think differently about it. The problem with most people is they're too stubborn to change their thinking. So they never change the way that they're living. This king of Israel, this joker, his immediate response to running out was to go the worst case scenario. He went right to fear. He said, we're all going to die. It's all over for us. And let's be honest. For some of us, that's the extreme we've run to in life when we feel depleted. This whole thing is coming to an end. I'm never going to get out of this. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. God is not for me. Nobody cares about me. We go to these extremes in life. Why do we do that? Because we have not set our minds we just let our minds roam wherever our minds want to roam. But can I give you a liberating thought? I don't have to believe everything I think. I don't have to believe every thought I think. Just because something enters my mind does not mean I have to own it in my mind. Hello? Are you out there? And some of us right now, we need to get a hold of this. We need to read and reread Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 10, where he said, we got to cast down every argument and high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity. Come on, somebody, to Jesus Christ. That's what we need to do. We, know, we don't have to own every thought that enters our mind. Well, if I think them, Luke, aren't they mine? No, the Bible says there's a devil out there. 
And he roams around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And the way he does this is by whispering things into our mind. Ideas and fear and lies and negativity. And sometimes he uses other people. I had a guy in our church about a month ago write me a letter. And uh, this is how he began the letter. Pastor Barnett, you're not my pastor. Your dad, he was a pastor before me. He's my pastor, not you. And he went on to talk about how, how I was ruining the church with my leadership and how we used to have one big church and where everybody was located in the same spot, but now we're just spread out all over the state of Arizona in eight different campuses. And he just went on and on talking about how poor of a leader I was. I gotta be honest, I read that letter probably 15 times in 24 hours. And every time I read it, I just got angrier and angrier and angrier. And finally, the next day, I picked up the phone. I said, I'm gonna give this guy a piece of my mind that I can't afford to lose. I don't know what I'm talking about out there. And so, so I, was, I called him and I said, What's your problem? You write me this nutty letter, you know? And he goes, oh, Pastor Brian, please forgive me. I was having a really bad day, and I, I was just venting on you. I really don't believe anything I wrote in that letter. That turkey owned me for 24 hours. I gave him my life, and it wasn't even accurate. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about right now because you're still playing a recorder of someone who said something in your past, someone who spoke death over you, and they've done it so long that now you've owned it. You said to yourself, well, this is my life, and i got to live with it. You know, we live in this crazy cancel culture. I think it's ridiculous. But if you're going to cancel anything, you need to cancel the lies of the enemy in your life. Come on, somebody. You need to cancel his lies. Give him an eviction notice. Because some of us have allowed him to move into our minds. He's, you know, set up a little a room in there, decorated the thing. He's got real comfortable. And it's time for you to serve him an eviction notice and evict him from your mind. I guess what I'm saying is this. When you're depleted, when you've run out, be careful what story you believe. Be careful what story you're telling yourself. God's brought all three of our armies together just to kill us. Really? That's where your mind went immediately? You're supposed to be in a battle, guys, but now you've forgotten about the battle because you're distracted because you're distracted so I am so convinced the devil doesn't need to derail your life he just needs to distract your life the devil doesn't need to get you in some crazy sin he just has to distract you a little bit to get you a little off the mission and the calling and the dream of God for your life it's so interesting to me that how quickly these three kingdoms came together I mean, the kings of Judah and Edom said, we're with you, king of Israel. You have our horses, you have our soldiers, you have our donkeys, and we're going to march down with you. We're going to open a can of whoop donkey on the king of Moab. This is going to be great. And all of a sudden, they completely run out of water, and they say, we're all going to die. And they go from the battle that was before them to the barrier right here the barrier in their mind. And for some of us, that's where we've gone, can we be honest, in this season. COVID, shutdowns, media stories, everything going on, and we've, and we've just taken this narrative, we're all going to die. It's all going to win. It's just a distraction. Guys, we all know how easy it is to get distracted, right? You walk into a Home Depot, guys, 
you're there to get a little certain light bulb for the fridge. But you see it. It grabs your attention. And 10 minutes later, you walk out with a new lawnmower. You know what I'm talking about? Just, just distractions. You go into Lowe's, you're looking for a little screw for a cabinet, you know. But, you know, you, you see it, you get distracted, and then you walk out five minutes later with a new, with a new you know, smoker or whatever, you know. Or maybe, maybe you, you go to bed at 10 o'clock at night because you're going to be a good steward of your time and energy. You're going to be good and rested for work the next day. And your buddy texts you a link at 1 a.m. about whether or not QAnon is for real. And now you're up at 3 o'clock in the morning trying to figure out if QAnon is real or not, right? Just distractions. And the enemy does the same thing with our calling in life. He gets us distracted so we become depleted so he can get our minds off of our real purpose and calling in life. I mean, it was just a little tiff to begin with, but now you're so focused on the bitterness that you have for that person that you can't even see God's calling on your life anymore. It was just a little hobby to begin with, and nothing wrong with hobbies unless they distract you to a point where you can't pursue God's dream for your life. Just little distractions. And I'll say it again. The enemy doesn't need to derail you. He just wants to distract you. Just get you a degree or two off mission, and you wake up six months later, and you say, how did I wind up here? Why am I so depleted? Why have I run out? Maybe it's because you have not set your mind or maybe you set your mind on the wrong thing well thankfully there is a king among them named Jehoshaphat and his first response was not we're all gonna die his first response was no we gotta go see the prophet we gotta go see the man of God because in that day the Bible had not been written so the way people got a word from God was to go see a man of God a prophet and so what Jehoshaphat was saying is, let's not go to these extremes of, we're all going to die. Instead, let's go get a word from heaven. Come on, somebody. Let's go get a word from God. Friends, when you're depleted, when you need something that you can't get for yourself, they couldn't make more water. You don't need another counselor. You don't need another vacation. What you need is a word from God that will save your soul in the season of dryness. And so Jehoshaphat says, let's not panic. Let's journey down and let's see what the man of God says. So they go down to see Elisha. What's Elisha say? Why are you coming to me? Go to the prophets of your mother and father. But because Jehoshaphat is with you, I'll talk to you. See, that's why you didn't make sure you hang out with the right people in life, the right community. Because sometimes your faith needle is going to be on empty. Hello, somebody. And you need to be around people who have their faith needle on full so they can help carry you through to your breakthrough in life. And that's why Jehoshaphat was there. Now, I love what happens next. These two are going to go really fast, so hold on. Verse 15. Elisha now says, okay, I'm going to give you a word. But first, bring me a musician. Bring me a musician. Then it happened. When the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon them. Now listen, it was in the setting of the atmosphere of worship that the word of God came. Did you catch that? It was in the setting of an atmosphere of worship that the hand of God moved. Now, there is nothing quite like atmosphere. If you've ever gone to a really nice restaurant, then you know all about atmosphere, right? You walk up and they have a maitre d'. And the maitre d' says, Mr. Barnett, party of two. Oh, yeah, that's me. Mr. Barnett, you're looking very nice tonight. Thank you. 
Thank you. I see you're wearing dark slacks, Mr. Barnett. Would you like a dark linen napkin for your slacks? Oh, that'd be wonderful. I like that. See, that's setting the atmosphere. You walk over the table. You sit down. They have more utensils than you know what to do with. You don't even know where to start. They have low lighting, candle lighting. Not so low that, you know, you can't see her, but low enough she can't see everything on your face. You know what I'm talking about, guys? It's atmosphere. The waiter comes by and says, Mr. Barnett, are you ready to order? Not quite yet. No problem. Just take your time. I'm here to serve you all night long. Atmosphere. So good. Then you walk into Chili's. (laughs) Totally different atmosphere, right? I don't even need to walk you through the process. You all know exactly how it is. There's something about atmosphere. Listen, every single day, don't miss this. You have the opportunity to set the atmosphere in your life. What is the atmosphere like in your home? Do you wake up and and wait for the atmosphere to be set for you? Ah, let me see how the wife feels today. Let me see how the dog feels today. Let me see how the kids are doing. I'll just wait to go with the atmosphere. Or do you wake up and say, nah, I'm setting the atmosphere in this home today. I'm setting the atmosphere to joy. I'm setting the atmosphere to peace in this home. I'm setting the atmosphere to faith in this home. Come on, somebody. I'm setting the atmosphere to the promises of God. We can set the atmosphere every single day. Elijah says, go get the musician. He was setting the atmosphere of worship. Now, let me just demonstrate the power of atmosphere. I'm going to ask our wonderful worship leader to come forward and help me play something uh, on the keys in just a moment. Would you welcome him? Don't you appreciate the great worship here at this church? So I'm just going to just find someone just to... Speak an encouraging word over their life. What is your name, ma'am? Yeah, Linda. I just want to speak some encouraging words to you right now. I don't want to embarrass you. Too late, right? (laughs) But Linda, I just want you to know that God is for you. He's not against you. And no matter what you're encountering in your life right now, greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. So set your mind on the things of God. Set the atmosphere in your life. Because God's word to you today is victory belongs to the Lord in your life. Amen. Do you agree with that great word today? Now, this time I'm going to say, speak those same words over you one more time. But this time I just want to add a little bit of atmosphere and just see what it does to the environment. Just a little bit of worship music. And even right now, as he begins to play, the atmosphere is changing in this place. Linda, God is for you, and he's not against you. And no matter what you're encountering right now in your life, he wants you to know that greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. So take heart. Be encouraged. Set your mind on the things of God. Set the atmosphere daily in your life. Because victory belongs to the Lord in your life. Amen? Come on, let's put our hands together one more time. That's a word for you today. Just keep playing if you would. We're almost done. Do you all see the difference in atmosphere? What is the atmosphere you're setting every single day? Because, gang, listen, it's in the atmosphere of worship that the hand of God moves, that the word of God comes. 
we have a decision to make every single day of our life. We can be a thermostat or we can be a thermometer. Thermometers go through life and say, I'm just going to reflect whatever's going on around me. So if it's, if it's not peaceful around me, I won't have peace. If it's not joyful around me, I won't have joy. If there's complaining around me, I'll just be a complainer. But I want to tell you, you don't have to be a pawn of the atmosphere. We can decide today, I'm going to be a thermostat. I'm going to set the dial to joy when I get up in the morning. I'm going to set the dial to peace when I get in the morning. I'm going to set the dial to contentment and not complaining. I don't care what everybody else is doing. You can be cranky, I'm going to be happy. You can be negative, I'm going to be positive. You can be fearful, I'm going to be joyful. I'm setting the dial and the tone and the tenor and the temperature to the promises of God in my life. It's our responsibility. It's my responsibility to set the atmosphere in my life. I'm not supposed to go with the crowd. I'm not supposed to go with the culture around me. We are called to swim against the crowd. So when everybody else is being negative, we say, I'm not going to go there. When everybody else is saying, oh, the pandemic is so bad, it's so awful, we need to say, I'm not joining in the pandemic pity party. I'm going to be a thermostat and set the temperature. I'm here to speak life and to declare the promises of God. I'm not talking about putting our head in the stand and pretending it's not here. I'm just saying, friends, this. I'm setting the atmosphere in my life. Let it rain outside, but I have sunshine following me around wherever I go. Amen. I'm setting my mind on the promises of God. Every day we set the atmosphere. What are you setting it to? What are you setting it to? Fear or faith? Are you setting your life, your atmosphere, to negativity, or are you setting it to see the promises of God? I'm saying when you've run out, you've got to guard the atmosphere of your life because it's in the atmosphere of worship that the hand of God moves, that the word of God comes, and you can receive it. Okay? So, one last thing. So, Elisha says to these three guys, okay, I'll, I'll give you a word. And he sets the atmosphere with worship. And this is what happens next. Verse 15. Then it happened, when the musician played, like right now, that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, you shall not see rain, yet that valley will be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this, I love this, this is a simple matter for the Lord. This is not hard for God. What have you run out of today? That's not hard for God. He's the God of more than enough. And the text goes on to say that these three kings were going to have complete and utter victory in this situation. Here's the third and last thing. I got to set my mind, I got to set the atmosphere, and then I got to set my hands. I got to set my hands. Elijah said, You kings make this valley full of ditches. Here's the word. When God gives you a word, like right now, get ready for the work. When God gives you a word, get ready for the work. God did not say, I'm going to make this valley full of trenches. He said, you make this valley full of trenches. When God gives you a work, get ready for the a word, get ready for the work, because the miracles of God are always preceded by direction from God. Right? All throughout the Bible, Jesus put mud in a blind man's eye. And now he said, there's some work to be done. Go wash off in the pool. And then he was healed. There was some work to be done. God said, 
I'm going to raise Lazarus from the grave, but there's some work to be done. First, remove the boulder from the tomb. Then he came forward. Before oil started flowing into the widow's jars, Elisha told her, go out and gather a lot of jars, lots of jars. There's some work to be done that precedes the miracle that God wants to do in our lives. See, we want to pray, God, just do it. And so God's going to sprinkle some magic pixie dust on our situation. God, help me mend this relationship. And God's like, okay, pick up the phone. Call the person that you're having a riff with. Own what you need to own and tell them. The Bible says, as much as it depends on me, live at peace. I just want you to know, I want to have peace. Well, pastor, I don't want to do that because that that takes some humility. What if they don't respond back the way that I'm feeling? God's like, okay. God, give me a financial breakthrough. And God says, okay, give. 10% of your earnings, every single pay period, back to my storehouse. And my promise to you is I will open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing upon your life that you can't contain it. And I will rebuke the devourer in your life. Whoa, 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 God. That takes faith. That takes generosity. That takes sacrifice. God says, okay. God says, look, there's some work to be done. You got to dig. You got to dig. You got to dig. And I love how God says, look, you're not going to see the wind or see the rain or feel the wind or see the rain or even see the clouds, which means they had to convince their armies to dig these massive trenches with no sign or evidence that water was coming. Which means, friends, we got to stay faithful to do what God has called us to do, even if we can't see it physically with our eyes. We got to keep trusting that the miracle, the breakthrough is coming, even though we don't see the evidence. We got to dig and dig and dig and dig, believing that God said, if I said it, I will make it come to pass. We got to keep digging. You know, remember I said earlier that Elisha had some really bad pastoral skills. I was thinking about this. I wonder if Elisha had run into these three jokers before. And I wonder if he gave them a revelation or a word like maybe several months ago and they still hadn't got to work on the last revelation that he gave them. And that's why he said, why are you coming to me? You still haven't done what I asked you to do last time. And I wonder if the reason why some of us have not seen the breakthrough is because God is still waiting for us to act on the last word he gave us. He says, go to work on that word, dig some trenches, and you'll have your breakthrough, and then come back to me, and I'll give you a a, a brand new revelation, and you'll break through even higher in your life. I love how God didn't ask them to do something they couldn't do. He just said, dig some trenches. And I also like how he said, make this valley full of trenches. Don't dig just one. In other words, the level of your blessings in life, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about prayer. I'm talking about Bible reading. I'm talking about relational blessings in your life. The level of your blessings is determined by how many trenches you dig. You just want a little bit of blessing in life, dig one trench. But if you want the fullness of the blessings of God, dig as many trenches as you can. Just say, I'm going to dig the trench of prayer. I'm going to dig the trench of worship. I'm going to dig the trench of outreach. I'm going to dig the trench of generosity. I'm going to dig the trench of serving and making a difference. I'm going to keep digging trenches, creating capacity for God to move in my life. And look what happened. My, My wife's getting this message today. Amen. She's getting blessed by it. Verse 20. 
Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. Don't miss this. I just wish we could all get a hold of this. God does not have a problem with supply. Do you believe that? God does not have a problem with supply. Whatever your need is today, whatever you've run out of, he has more than enough. The issue is, do you personally have the capacity to contain it? Do you have the capacity to hold the supply he's wanting to send to you? Because the amount of water they received was determined by their capacity. And their capacity was determined by how many trenches they were willing to dig. So, do you have the capacity to, to hold what God is wanting to send to you? That's a big issue. Back in 2013, I became the pastor of Dream City Church. And at that time, I didn't have a dream for the future of our church. My dad was a great visionary leader, but I was just, I could teach a little, preach a little, lead a little, but I didn't have a, a red-hot vision from God. So I got desperate about it. We have a big mountain behind our church, and for 40 days, I climbed that mountain, went on a Daniel fast, ate nothing but bird seeds and twigs for 40 days, lost about 30 pounds. But I was so desperate to get a, a vision for our future from God. And he told me five things that we were going to accomplish by our 100th year birthday in 2023. That's about a year and a half away. This is back in 2013. I told our church, one of those five things was that we were going to be debt-free as a church by 2023. At that time, we owed $13 million on just the one property we had. But I'm happy to report to you today, seven years later, that we now owe... 20.5 million dollars we've kind of gone the wrong direction here you know but let me tell you what we've been doing we've been digging we've been digging as a church we bought a, a campus out in North Scottsdale 27 acre campus for about four and a half million dollars built a great community out there that's winning souls to Jesus Christ about a Two months later, we bought another campus out in Glendale, the west, western part of uh, Phoenix, a 50-acre campus out there, and that's a thriving campus now. And, and then we went up to Short Creek, where, where, you've, where you've supported, and poured a couple million up in Short Creek up there. And then we went to the White Mountains and the, uh, the uh, um, Pine Top Lakeside area up in the White Mountains and built another campus up there. Eight campuses later, and that's kind of taken a toll on us. $20.5 million in debt. So I'm thinking to myself, I, I think I may have got my signals crossed on that part of the dream because we're going the wrong way here. This is never going to happen by 2023. It's, we're, we're just going the wrong way. We've lost ground. Well, about six months ago, Lennar Holmes came to us and that part, one of those properties we bought in Glendale, a 50-acre campus, they said, we'd like to buy 10 acres of your property and we'd like to offer you $5.9 million for 10 acres. I'm like, wow, I had no idea that desert dirt was worth that much money. So I told our team, let's not sell right away. Let's just find out what this is really worth. And so we went back and got with some corporate realtors, and they began to market it. And a month ago, Lenar Homes came back to us, and they said, we want to buy 10 acres for $10 million, and then we'd like to buy nine additional acres total for $20.5 million. 
We've been digging and digging and digging and digging and working and working and winning souls and winning souls and investing in a polygamous community that can do nothing for us. And God says, because you dug, because you work, I sent the rain, I sent the water. We saw no signs of it. We saw no evidence, but God says... I'm going to see that dream come to pass. And what I'm saying to you is, friends, come on, this is your season right now. It's time for all of us to start digging. Let's dig more ditches than we've ever dug before. Let's gather more jars than we've ever gathered before because the God of more than enough wants to fill your life. This is your season to dig. Would you all stand to your feet for a closing prayer? Now, let me say one more thing before we close. What do you do when you run out? What do you do in life when you feel depleted? I don't, it doesn't matter what area it is. It could be financially, it could be relationally. It could be spiritually. What do you do when you run out? You gotta set your mind. Don't be distracted by the things of this world. Don't get off course a degree, a degree or two because in six months you wake up and say, wow, how am, why am I here? Set your mind on the things of God. Set the atmosphere every day of worship. Because that's how God speaks to you in that environment. Set your hands. It's time to start digging some trenches. It's time to start creating some capacity in your life. The more you're spilled, the more you're filled. God wants to fill your life. And if you will do those three things, listen carefully, it'll change your whole outlook on life. And then you will set your expectation. Because you know you've done your job. You set your mind. You set the atmosphere. And you started digging, and you can expect the God of more than enough to move in your life. Amen.